This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. The heartbeat of Saskatchewan is agriculture, and 620 CKRM is proud to be your source for everything ag. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with your host, Jim Smalley. And a good afternoon. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com. Also brought to you by the Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in Arcola. Today we have our usual Friday look at what happened in wheat and canola markets this week. Canola is down and wheat is up for the week. SAS Pork Chair raises concern about access to feed imports from the United States. Real Agriculture also takes a look at supply chain issues. We have a two-part feature from CN Rail looking at the rapid expansion expected in the biodiesel and renewable diesel fuel industry and the strong demand for canola and soybean oil. The farm weather is in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnson's Grain, helping growers contract any type of grain. Call one 800 324 7778. Wheat and canola prices were mixed this week. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Pacallo says canola fell $8 per metric ton, while spring wheat gained 34 cents a bushel. Well, Jim, starting off on the canola front here, canola on the May contract, which is actually the more active one now, not the March, uh, decreased approximately $8 a ton. As we're talking here mid-morning, the May contract is under that $1,000 a ton, sitting at about $9.97. As for the wheat, the Minneapolis contract on the March futures increased approximately 34 cents a bushel here this week. So this was quite uh, a big week when it comes to different reports that came out. StatsCan was the first on Tuesday to come up with their stocks for their principal field crops as of December 31st. So lower production really on the wheat side of things caused the actually the increase, I should say, on wheat futures this week. It was below trade estimates here. Total stocks for wheat were down about 38% year over year to 15.6 million tonnes. And that really, I would say, again, that number was a little bit lower than expected. So I believe that's kind of why we saw the rally here this week. And to to watch that number now on the March contract, traders want to see a, a, a break above 950, which we're holding that right now currently at the market. And what was pushing down the canola prices, wheat going up and canola going down? Well, the one other major report that came out this week was the USDA, and they, to go over a few of the numbers here, came out with a little bit higher of a number for the soybean production side of things. However, still, there is a quite a bullish situation for for soybeans and for corn. But yesterday, there was something called a key reversal potentially here on the charts. So when it comes to, to soybeans, the USDA actually ended up putting the numbers in at 134 million tons versus, again, the average expectation of 133.5 million tons. 
but the main number that actually came out yesterday was from Conab, which is kind of the official Brazilian estimates. They pegged their harvest at 125.4 million tons, which is well below the USDA estimate. And now with kind of poor weather, you know, really since February 1st and another two weeks of dry weather in the forecast for Argentina, this might be enough to spark a significant drop in production in the March USDA report. So traders are going to be watching that. But I think there is some profit taking, again, that that reversal. And that's why we might be seeing canola here off here today. And again, canola hitting maybe some highs here this week. Adam Piccolo is a commodity futures advisor with PI Financial. Back to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. This portion is brought to you by Seedmaster. No matter what you grow, Seedmaster has the ultimate seeding solutions for better crops and bigger profits. Seedmaster.ca. The chair of the Saskatchewan Pork Development Board is concerned about access to feed imports from the United States. Toby Cheddar says SAS Pork has several key goals. So SAS Pork's mission is uh, to work on behalf of the pork producers to make sure that, that we have a positive business environment and maintains our global competitiveness in the industry and high standards of own farm production while we're trying to stimulate long-term growth and investment in the Saskatchewan industry, uh, pork industry. So the board of directors have set out four strategic priorities for areas for the industry. This includes industry development, uh, producer services, public relations, and research. And I expect we'll continue to have progress in all of these priorities in the next coming year. Cheddar sees several challenges in transportation right now. So the transportation issue and the feed costs are a big concern. That have, Those are challenges right now in the hog industry. There seems to be a, a general shortage of truckers in Canada, and this isn't just restricted to the hog industry. <clears throat> With... Uh, our more reliance on more in feed imports and increased need of feed imported feed ingredients. We're relying more and more on long distance transportation this year. The biggest impact we've seen so far in the Saskatchewan uh, is the supply of some of the feed ingredients we take we import, particularly soy meal. That's that's very in very short supply. Like loads are being delayed like weeks at a time, and guys are just scrambling to keep enough feed in their bins. There's also very little canola meal to substitute with a, with a poor crop year last year, and that's not helping any. But so far, we haven't seen any, any live shipment disruptions. But the farms that do ship that out, those hogs out, those isoenes, they are worried about it. Cheddar says the vaccine mandate is hurting livestock feed supplies from the United States. Well, I don't think this uh, is an easy solution to this issue. With the amount of tons and feed that need to be imported from the U.S. right now into Western Canada and because of the drought being a put strain on the system. And the cross-border uh, vaccination mandate that came into effect, and that's not helping this situation any, and it's basically reducing the number of Canadian U.S. drivers that can cross the border. So we're both Canada and U.S. removing these rules that will help. And then in the long term, a good crop year in 2022 will reduce our dependence on imports and help with the issue, but that's still a long ways off. Cheddar expects feed costs to remain high until harvest. Well, feed costs are going to remain high in the next little while. It's a good idea to just book as far ahead as advance all the ingredients that you can and make sure you have enough delivered till we get closer to the new crop year, which starts coming uh, off in August. And also, South Pork uh, ran a, f a feed town hall meeting last fall 
with the research from the Prairie Swine Centre and the University of Saskatchewan, and they presented a lot of good information uh, in reducing feed costs. It's, it, producers can look at that on the SAS Pork website if they want to check it out. Cheddar has a message to consumers and pork producers. Well, to those who are involved in the pork production, I'd say uh, just get out and get involved in what's going on outside the barn door. There's lots, lots going on beyond the farm gate. And to the consumers, uh, you're eating a wholesome, delicious, and nutritious product, uh, some of the highest quality in the world, and it's being produced by some of the world's safest food standards. Cheddar had one final thought. Well, the only thing I could add is if you want to make something better, just wrap it in bacon. Toby Cheddar is the chair of the Saskatchewan Pork Development Board. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamp's Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Throughout the last 23 months or so, there's been a lot of talk about supply chains moving from just-in-time delivery to uh, a more of a, a just-in-case type approach, including in, uh, in the meat industry. What does that mean at the, at the producer level if, say, you're a, a cattle producer or a feedlot owner? What does the, the beef supply chain look like as we kind of move past the pandemic? That's the, the topic of a new report published by Robo Research. And uh, joining us on the phone, we're pleased to welcome Don Close. Don, as many of you know, is a senior analyst for animal proteins with Robo AgriFinance. And Don, good to chat again. Can you, uh, can you fill us in on what you've looked at in, uh, in this new beef supply chain report? You pretty well said it in the, in the intro. We, we've looked at the disruptions in the marketplace through this whole COVID experience. Uh, and we looked at, okay, what are some of the key factors that uh, are, are really caused the bottleneck? And, and certainly the, the top of that list is the, the, es- the availability of labor to start with, and then the, the escalated cost of labor. Uh, we, we clearly think we have crossed that threshold on a cost perspective that packers are incentivized to be the implementation of, of more and more automation. And, and I think everybody's or most people's minds when we talk about that jumps to thinking, okay, plants will be run with robotics. And that we may ultimately get there, but we, we think in the interim there'll be a lot of technology employed in the plants, a lot of monitoring of, of equipment and systems. So in short, we think that the, the first generations of automation will be to enhance the uh, efficiency of the labor force, not necessarily replace it. The way consumers are buying groceries today are, are shifting rapidly. We're looking at, is the packaging requirements the same for, for the new way of shopping? And, and we're, our real argument is we think we need to redevelop, look at, at new technologies to extend shelf life through, through more durable packaging. And, and we, okay, so what does that mean? And then we, we see the, the complication that many of the consumers who are requesting or demanding 
more extended shelf life with different packaging are the very same consumers who are complaining about the rate in which we're filling our landfills with packaging and food waste. So, okay, how do we address both of those problems? And then the, the third area that we really spent a lot of time looking at was the transportation of the future. And with that, we looked at, at truck, uh, we looked at rail, and, and even ocean freight. And, and while certainly the, the bottleneck at the ports have been a huge problem, we see the changes taking place, specifically L.A. and Long Beach, where they are dedicating specific areas of the ports uh, for perishable items in an effort to get them in and out of the port more rapidly. And, and our view on, on the ocean freight and, and port traffic is that that will largely correct itself as, as this buying binge of consumers comes to a close. But on the on the truck side, we looked at the you know the the American Trucking Association is is currently stating that the U.S. has a shortage of 68,000 truck drivers, and think that over a five-year period that could uh, escalate to as many as a, a million short shortage of drivers. We looked then at at the again at automation, uh, the self uh, self-driving trucks. And, and in both of those cases, we think coming up with a with a whole new generation of truck drivers or even self-driving trucks is really a short-term fix, uh, just given the the congestion on our interstate systems. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. It's your agri-weather forecast on The Source, 620 CKRM. The official 620 ZKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. Partly cloudy today with 30% chance of light snow, winds up to 15 kilometers per hour, the high minus 14, the low minus 19. Wind chill minus 21 tonight, minus 28 overnight. Saturday, partly cloudy, winds up to 15K, the high minus 11 tomorrow, wind chill minus 24 in the morning and minus 16 in the afternoon, the low minus 18. Sunday, partly cloudy and mild again with a high forecast of plus 1, the low minus 17. Monday, cloudy, the high minus 8, the low minus 9. Tuesday, cloudy, the high minus 5, the low minus 18. Wednesday, sunny, the high minus 14, the low minus 19. Thursday, partly cloudy with a high forecast of minus 10. Normal high for this date, minus 7. The normal low is minus 19. The sun rose at 817 this morning. It sets at 608 tonight. And currently, the hot spot right now is Maple Creek in the southwest corner at minus 1. The cold spot up north, Stony Rapids, at minus 35 degrees. Esteban and Saskatoon, both minus 18. Swift Current, minus 9. Weyburn, minus 19. Yorkton is minus 24. Regina, it's turning nice and sunny. Scattered cloud right now, minus 19. That's 3 below Fahrenheit. 
Winds are from the northwest at 10. Wind chill right now, minus 26 degrees. Humidity is 68%. The barometer rising, 103.5. Light snow in Moose Jaw, minus 17. Winds are from the north at 9. Once again, Regina, scattered cloud, and minus 19. That's three below Fahrenheit. Back in a moment. Get out to an early start on weed control in next year's canola and lentil crop using Group 3 Edge Microactive from Gowan Canada this fall. Edge Microactive, maximize yields today and manage resistance for tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers. McDougalAuctions.com. And brought to you by Patterson Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems, expect the best. CN Rail sees a big future for biodiesel in the railway industry in coming years. The Assistant Vice President of Grain for CN Rail, David Shednovic, explains the development of renewable and biodiesel fuel from such crops as canola. So biodiesel is a renewable diesel fuel substitute made from non-petroleum renewable resources, such as vegetable oils, animal fats, and cellulosic materials. And the chemical process used to produce biodiesel is called transesterification. Basically, you take 100 pounds of feedstock and react it with methanol and a catalyst, and what comes out the other end is 100 pounds of methyl esters, which is the biodiesel, and 10 pounds of glycerin. Glycerol, which is purified glycerin, is used in the cosmetics, food, and pharmaceutical industries. In Canada, the main feedstock for biodiesel production is canola oil, while in the U.S., the main feedstock by far is soybean oil. Coming back to biodiesel, its chemical and molecular structure is distinct versus diesel. Biodiesel is blended into diesel fuel and can be used in diesel engines without any engine modifications. The amount of biodiesel that can be blended into diesel is somewhat limited, especially in colder climates because of its flowability properties, although blends of up to 20% biodiesel are present in some U.S. states during the summer months. The cold weather properties of biodiesel and diesel in general are measured primarily by cloud point, which is the temperature at which small crystals form in the fuel. U.S. and Canadian biodiesel nameplate production capacity as of mid-2021 stood at roughly 2.4 billion gallons and 160 million gallons, respectively. Shidnovic explains the difference between renewable diesel and biodiesel. Okay, first, renewable diesel and biodiesel are both renewable diesel substitutes and biomass-based fuels. And renewable diesel is manufactured with the same kinds of renewable feedstocks. As is the case with ethanol, biodiesel and renewable diesel qualify as biofuels under the U.S. Renewable Fuel Standard, or RFS, and the RFS requires that fuels sold in the U.S. contain minimum volumes of renewable fuels. Renewable diesel has the same chemical structure as diesel, which means it can be treated as a straight drop-in fuel one for one. Because that renewable diesel molecule is the same as diesel, its cloud point is significantly different compared to biodiesel as well, and it has better flowability, particularly in colder climates compared to biodiesel. There are a number of different ways to produce renewable diesel, but the primary production process today is hydro-treating or hydrogenation. And that chemical process entails applying heat and pressure to the refining process and replacing oxygen by hydrogen to knock off toxic and metal residues. Renewable diesel produced through this process is sometimes referred to as HDRD, or hydrogenation-derived renewable diesel. What's changed more recently is the adoption of co-processing, 
where feedstock is injected directly into a traditional oil refinery and co-processed with regular crude oil, with the renewable feedstock representing a small percentage of the overall refinery throughput, typically 5 to 10 percent. Shednovic outlines future prospects for renewable diesel. So annual nameplate renewable diesel production capacity online in the U.S. was over 1 billion gallons as of the end of 2021, while production remains limited in Canada, relatively speaking. Production of renewable diesel is set to expand dramatically in North America, with billions of gallons of nameplate capacity either in the process of being built or expanded and in the process of coming online in the next year or two, along with billions of gallons worth of proposed projects on top of that. Focusing in on the U.S. here, CN directly accesses two renewable diesel production facilities in the U.S. Gulf, and production between the two of them is expanding significantly. This past fall, Diamond Green Diesel, which is a joint venture between Valero and Darling Ingredients, started up its CN-served expansion project at the St. Charles Refinery in Louisiana, adding 410 million gallons of nameplate production capacity and bringing Diamond Green Diesel's overall nameplate renewable diesel production capacity in the Gulf to 700 million gallons. Also this past fall, Renewable Energy Group, or REG, broke ground on their expansion of the renewable diesel production facility at Geismar, Louisiana, which will increase annual total site production capacity by 250 million gallons to 340 million gallons. Coming up, Shednovic discusses renewable diesel and biodiesel from other sources, including livestock byproducts. You're tuned to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today on The Source, 620 CKRM. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Degelman Industries. Look to Degelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered, tough equipment on the market. And Arcola Building Supplies, small-town lumberyard, big on service. ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com CN Rail sees a massive increase in rail demand for biodiesel in coming years. The Assistant Vice President of Grain for CN Rail, David Shednovic, says biodiesel mainly comes from canola and soybean oil, but there are other sources. Well, it's important to discuss carbon intensity score, or CI score here, as CI score has a material impact on how green a fuel is. CI is a function of the life cycle of a fuel from its origin to consumption, including production and transport, and it's measured as the amount of carbon dioxide per megajoule of fuel energy. Call it the pathway. The lower the CI score, the greener the fuel, and CI score is used to calculate credits or deficits under low-carbon fuel standard mandates such as the one in place in California and the one that is being discussed for Canada. If the baseline CI score for diesel is 100, compare that to virgin canola or soybean oil with a CI score in the low 50s or used cooking oil with a CI score in the 20s. One point to clarify here is that a pathway for canola oil for production of renewable diesel in the U.S. has yet to be established by the U.S. EPA but progress is being made there. Last summer, the U.S. Canola Association requested that pathways be established for renewable diesel derived from canola oil to generate renewable identification numbers, or RINs, under the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. Without getting into a lot of detail, the EPA tracks RFS, Renewable Fuel Standards Compliance, to the RIN system, which assigns a RIN to each gallon of renewable fuel. You need the RINs to go along with the biofuel production. Obligated parties can meet their renewable volume obligations either by selling the required biofuels volumes or by purchasing RINs from parties that exceed their requirements. The RINs are tradable and have a monetary value associated with them. Canola oil and soybean oil are both going to be important sources of feedstock to support the expansion in renewable fuels production in North America. And seeing all the new canola crush plan announcements in Western Canada and soybean crush plants in the U.S. coming online and being expanded and added, is in due in large part to renewable diesel taking off. 
Shidnovik says livestock byproducts are also a source for biodiesel. Well, there's distiller's corn oil, or inedible corn oil, produced by ethanol plants, as well as products derived from rendering. Rendering is the process of converting meat and or other animal byproducts through cooking and drying into usable products such as meat and bone meal, proteins, minerals, fats, oils, and fatty acids, using heat to kill pathogens. Roughly to 50 to 60% of an animal is consumed in the U.S., and the rest of that animal needs to be processed in some fashion. Then, of course, there's the meat that's collected from grocery stores and restaurants that can be processed as well. Rendering's been referred to as the original recycling, and the North American rendering industry produces billions of pounds of edible and inedible tallow, yellow grease, lard, and poultry fat annually. Tallow is primarily derived from rendered beef fat, white grease is derived from hogs, and yellow grease is restaurant-quality grease and cooking oil. Shednovic outlines CN's involvement in the renewable diesel industry. CN's network and connected infrastructure make CN a key player in the rapidly developing renewable diesel market in North America. That includes transporting seed to oilseed crush plants, transporting vegetable oil and other feedstocks to refineries, and shipping renewable diesel to end markets. CN directly serves all the major energy hubs in North America, Western Canada's heartland, Eastern Canada's terminal and refinery complexes stretching from Sarnia to St. John, New Brunswick, through the U.S. Midwest and down to the Gulf of Mexico. CN is well positioned to support the growth of renewable diesel production with major renewable diesel capacity expansions that CN serves directly at the U.S. Gulf, as I mentioned earlier, along with current and future touch points in Canada. Linking seed to oil, oil and tallow to renewable refinery and refinery to end market, CN delivers a low-cost, integrated and efficient supply chain solution. All the new oilseed crush expansion and greenfield projects that have been announced on both sides of the border in the past 18 months or so has been very exciting to see. And CN plays an important role in transporting the energy transition feedstocks to renewable diesel plants. The feedstock optionality within North America and via CN's tri-coastal network gives renewable customers optionality, opportunity today and over the long term. Shidnovic outlines CN Rail's use of renewable fuel. CN is the industry leader in locomotive fuel efficiency and we sustainably transport sustainable energy. We not only serve the renewable diesel industry, we're also in the process of testing high-level renewable fuel blends as an important part of delivering on our carbon reduction commitments. As we discussed in the recent podcast on sustainability, CN and Progress Rail are partnering with REG to test high-level renewable fuel blends, including both biodiesel and renewable diesel, in support of the company's sustainability goals. Trials and qualifications up to 100% bio-based diesel fuel are important steps in reducing greenhouse gas emissions from CN's existing locomotive fleet, while alternative propulsion locomotive technologies are also being developed. This program will allow CN and Progress Rail to better understand the long-term durability and operational impacts of renewable fuels on locomotives, especially in cold weather, and uh, plan needed modifications to fully leverage their usage over the next decade. David Shednovic is the Vice President of Grain at CN Rail. The Market Updates with Jim Smalley on The Source, 620 CKRM. Market Update is brought to you by Nelson GM in Assiniboia and Avonlea. With new inventory arriving daily, they'll find a vehicle that fits your agriculture lifestyle. Proudly serving southern Saskatchewan for over 60 years. See Nelson GM today. Grain prices were mixed in early trading today. Viterra prices for canola fell $1.50 at $928.72 per metric ton. Number one, red spring wheat went up $6.42 at $436.46. The rest were unchanged. Durham, $551.16. 
feed barley, $377.37. Flax, $1,094.92. Lentils, $848.77. Oats, $551.53. Yellow peas, $635.89. And feed wheat, $261.65. At Minneapolis this morning, March spring wheat rose 11 and a quarter cents at 9.53 and a half cent a bushel. It's the Livestock Reports on The Source, 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn, 842-4574. And now, today's Livestock Quotations. This is Grant Barnett with the Market Report. Heartland Livestock here in Moosha. 400 on offer at our Thursday regular sale. This cow market, it was dollars higher than what it was here last week. Good run expected here at our Tuesday, February 15th pre-sorted sale. These good cows, 78 to 85, sales rate up to 88 and 50. Medium cows, 70 to 79. The good bows traded from 94 to a dollar five, sales rate up to a buck 11. This is Grant Barnett reporting. Let's have one great afternoon. And the latest Saskatchewan pork prices is for both Brandon and Moose Jaw plants. $199.24 per CKG. Coming up, the Resource Report. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. Now the Resource Report, brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit 2ndlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid. Agriculture Canada says a new pulse grain offers the chance to expand prairie farm markets. Researchers are looking at the sweet white lupin as a new source of high-quality protein and a source of essential nutrients. Sweet white lupin is most commonly grown in Europe and could be another crop to help Canadian farmers diversify. Agriculture Canada says sweet white lupin has numerous advantages. The crop is high-yielding, can be used for human consumption or a highly nutritious feed for cattle. White lupins provide nitrogen into the soil, which helps the next season crop, reducing the need to apply fertilizer. White lupins are harvested earlier than some other crops like soybeans and help to capture carbon from the air. A three-year project is underway in Alberta, Ontario, PEI and BC to test the crop under Canadian growing conditions. On the markets today, the TSX is up 123 points to 21,655. The Dow has gained 14 points to 35,256. Oil is up $1.47 to 91.35 per barrel. The Canadian dollar is up 26 one-hundredths of a cent at 78.86 cents U.S. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune in to the On Demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. Brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Jim Smalley. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of today's broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, following the 12 o'clock news on your voice for everything ag. 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of edge microactive pre-emergent herbicides.